0: We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great game business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use Iron Source's game growth platform to turn their amazing games into amazing game businesses. Now, when it comes to content, these guys don't mess around. You may have heard of the Level Up podcast and Medium blog, which feature game industry experts talking all things game design, development, and growth. Head to ironsource.com to learn more. That's www.ironsrc.com. Thanks. Hey, folks. Welcome to Twig 76. Today on the podcast, we have myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, and Eric Kress. And the articles we will be covering today are first, Epic Games Publishing announces partnerships with Gen Design, Playdead, and Remedy Entertainment from Epic Games' website. Second, declining cost per install should benefit mobile game companies, which is a Stevens report by our good buddy Jeff Cohen. Third, Forte recruits five more high-end game studios to make blockchain-based games by GamesBeat. How's your weekend, guys?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Playing lots of Animal Crossing.
0: Oh, <laughs> All good. Yeah, my, my kids have been playing.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, really? I, don't I, I don't really like it that much. It's just kind of a time waster. It really, it feels like a, a mobile game to be completely honest, like lots of daily quests, lots of achievements to go after. Um, I, I
2: Honestly, I think that was the biggest missed opportunity for Nintendo on mobile because I think anybody could have made a good monetization game out of that with speed ups and crafting and even just, you know, buying cosmetic stuff on the store. Right. But I totally screwed that up. That mobile game was yeah, terrible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I didn't actually play that too much. So I don't really know what the.
2: But I mean, it, it, nothing lends itself more to mobile than Animal Crossing, right? Yeah, and, that's true. But, uh, but yeah, I cannot stand those games. Like any type of resource management, like task based game, forget it. Do you play like, um, what is it, like
1: Rimworld, Factorio, those types of games? No. Man, you should try those. Like, those are fun. Those are definitely fun. I've been just yeah. grinding in Division Two like a madman. Yeah, if you love grinding, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah like but Factorio it, actually, like it—it it feels amazing to like set up this factory and like have all these little resources moving around and feeling like you're like filling up all the bullets of your. No, little I, no, no. And doing I want
2: to be charge. a badass and go shoot shoot people in the head. You know, like I want to I want to get my gear up and be powerful. You know that power fantasy and just destroy yeah. people. That's the that's what's fun. Yeah. So my, my division character is godly, you know, like I, I just crush things, you know,
0: <laughs> you guys play team fight.
2: Uh, the mobile. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was going to cover it this
1: week, but okay. I feel like we need another week. I, I, at least I need another week.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. monetizing really well, huh? <laughs> The revenue, the revenue is spiking. Despite is the fact that it took, it took me
0: like ten minutes to figure out how to spend any money that you,
2: right? Like, no, like, where exactly? Where I, it, where it, can you spend?
0: But but actually, there, there there's some revenue there, and, and we do know that on the PC side, it's you know at least the rumor is it's done incredibly well. So
2: we'll see. Dude, let's <laughs> let's come on, let's be real here, dude. It had almost five point five million downloads and eight hundred and thirty thousand in revenue, and the revenue is going down. Actually, no, revenue's holding, so that's actually not bad. Uh,
0: last I checked, it was spiking, but alright.
2: No, I, I would not consider this spiking. I just don't think the monetization model is there. I mean, even Hearthstone's having problems monetizing because everyone's playing these fucking tactics games, which yeah. doesn't monetize, so. Even I mean, their own
1: tactics game, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. They're like, they're cannibalizing the a- shit out of themselves, you know? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I don't
1: know about this about GDC. I guess I can do that later.
0: All right, Up- Up- updates, Adam.
1: Yeah, so um, I think the big news over the last couple of weeks really has been the, the bump that a lot of game companies have been seeing. And I think last week, Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing actually both got big sales bumps during the lockdown. Um, so Doom Eternal, of course, having its best launch weekend in franchise history. Um, as well as like a big influx on Steam. So it's a very well-reviewed game. I don't know if you've if you've had some time to play it. It's a great game, especially the single player campaign, um, but they definitely had a huge influx on Steam. Um, Animal Crossing as well, um, especially in Japan, getting both hardware sales and software sales up. It looks like it's actually one of the best performing Switch games, which is incredible, especially considering that Animal Crossing is not Nintendo's best IP. That's it for me, Joe.
0: Yeah, I've got two real quick. The first is Roblox, which held its seventh annual Bloxy Awards that drew like 4 million concurrent players during the peak of the show and 600,000 spectators. And as we have mentioned on previous podcasts, definitely encourage game developers to study Roblox games and understand the games that are successful on that platform. And in particular, I would recommend checking out record-breaking game and winner of lots of Bloxy Awards, Adopt Me, and Arsenal, which won Game of the Year. Anyway, congrats to Roblox for continued success. They continue to keep going up and up and up. And also, Eric and I recorded a podcast with the Roblox guys uh, that covers the secrets to uh, their success. Look out for that in the next week or two. And the second update I have is in a surprise sort of Reddit post on Saturday. Super Evil Megacorp CEO Christian Segerstrahl announced that Rogue Games their publishing partner for Vainglory, except China stopped supporting the game and has <laughs> transferred live service back to Super Evil. <laughs> why, why are you laughing, Eric? <laughs> anyway, it sounds like they are working over the weekend to figure out a solution. So I assume they've figured out something for publishing now, but in China, it is operated by NetEase. I haven't played the game since the initial launch, but definitely wish them the best of luck. It looked great, at least initially. I do think that the key mistake that they made, if we were to go way back, is, is trying to dying on their sword, trying to make everything work out in the Western market rather than shifting focus to the Asian market, uh, especially China.
2: Wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So Rogue Games picked this thing up from Vainglory so they could focus on their new game with every buzzword known to man, right? Yeah, And then a few months later, they pick it back up. I mean, they gave it up. They gave up the game. They didn't want to support it anymore. Now they gave it up to Rogue. Oh, that's so crazy. And so ultimately the game failed twice, right? I mean, this is a disaster for them.
1: Yeah, so I just looked at the news. It was back in November last year. So that's pretty recent. Yeah. Right off the back of their 10 million raise. But like, why, why even
2: would Super Evil take this back? I know if they wanted, if they gave it up, they gave up one of their children. Why would they want it back? Right?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if rogue stops publishing it, they will obviously have to take it back until they can find another partner. But I think the tricky part is if you split up the rights, but your most profitable part is China, assuming, I mean, I haven't looked at the game, so I'm assuming that's the case then. No,
2: no, no. Bain doesn't even operate in China. I don't think.
0: No, it's the Reddit post said it's operated in China by NetEase. Huh?
1: So then there's a whole nother piece of this pie, in not nice? Anyways, I think
2: we're going too deep on this.
0: Yeah, probably going too
2: deep. <laughs> I, I, I just feel bad for, you know, Mike DeLott and those guys. I mean, they, oh my God, yeah, look at the revenue. Holy shit, it fell off a cliff. <laughs> oh, I see. Never mind. All right, yeah, not good. Not good for anybody. I mean, they, these guys need to focus on building a game that actually makes money, you know, and then then they'll then they'll be off to the races, so. All right, next. Epic Games announced publishing partnerships with Gen Design, Play Dead, and Remedy Entertainment. So, this has actually gotten a lot of positive press across the board, it seems, that everyone's so excited about Epic getting into the publishing business. So, they basically announced a deal with these three developers. Gen Design is basically Team Ico, the ones that made uh, Shadow of Colossus, which is basically a cult classic. But their last game, uh, Last Guardian, was just an absolute train wreck <laughs> i don't even, even even the people that like love 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 team Ico just could not get behind this last guardian game um and then play dead was behind limbo and a follow-up inside which is a really great indie game and remedy which is one of my favorite action adventure games alan wake and their latest game control which i keep meaning to pick up but i'm waiting for it to go on sale. So that's actually a really good pickup, kind of a AAA developer. I really like kind of what Remedy does. So the, the, kind of, the difference here is what, what they're trying to say is they're basically trying to be more developer friendly. And so they basically have three core tenants, I guess, is that they're full creative freedom and ownership. So 100% of the intellectual property is owned by um, the developer. Uh, they want to fully fund the projects. They will cover up to 100% of the development costs, um, and go-to-market expenses, including QA, localization, marketing, um, and publishing, and a 50-50% share after all the costs are recouped. Okay. So, in essence, I think this is a great strategy for Epic, to be honest, um, but they have to, absolutely have to allow for console development, right? They cannot do this on PC alone, so I, I, I'm assuming that, that this is across all platforms, not just PC, uh, because that would not make any sense, in my opinion. Um, but the thing is that the problem is the only thing that's going to make it tougher is that it's really hard to manage a 3rd party studio without control, right? Well, if you don't have direct control over things, things get really challenging. Spending can get out of control. Time You can miss timing. Um, you need to invest in a serious group of people that can manage third parties. And it's one of the hardest things to do in this business is to... Manage studios, first of all, but then also manage third parties that you don't have any control over. It's, it's a real challenge. And my, think, my thing is that this has all been done before. You know, I, I don't know if you guys know out there in, the, in mobile land is that EA was the biggest publisher in the world, right? They're the one that they built their business around publishing. So they had affiliate labels, they had distribution, they had publishing deals like this, Copub and all that other stuff. That's how they built their business. And their primary value back then was distribution. And that was the relationships with the, with the retailers in the U.S. And, the, and most importantly, the relationships with retailers in Europe, right? And this business went on for years. Like, this is how they built EAs in general. And EA basically ended up evolving their publishing arm to the EAP publishing. And the... the <sighs> Again, the fundamental problem with publishing in general is that you are bearing all the risk, but you have no control, right? And you're also splitting the model between multiple different factions. You have retail, publisher, developer, etc. Rather than just owning the means of production, what I've kind of said about about uh, Scopely a million times, um, it's just it's just a really, 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 really tough business, and you can lose your shirt on this if if these if these developers take forever so something like as an example so the last guardian was a an amazingly high fidelity game that took them like i think it was like six years or five or six years to develop it was it was it was announced delayed announced delayed announced delayed development costs must have just went through the moon in terms of what they expected versus what they had because it's a full team that's dedicated to this game over a particular period of time so if you were to publish this game and you had to basically spend pay for all the development costs you would have just been uh, constant overruns and you would have lost your shirt on that one one deal right and so it's hard enough to build it on your own but building it with a um a third party that you have less control over is just is just challenging so you know, I, I think, again, to build Epic's business, this may be really smart, but I hope they, they hire the right people that can manage these studios and the right creative talent and help direct the studios and or just the right management people that can actually manage the process and, and manage the projects to get them out on time. So it's not such a big financial burden or risk for Epic as a whole. Um, I don't know if that made sense. You guys have any comments on that?
0: Yeah. So from my side, I actually think this is, you know, I agree with a lot of the other folks in thinking that this is actually really good news for the industry and really good news in in three ways. First is it does introduce competition into an area where we desperately need more competition. I mean, publishing now is getting pretty light. So having more publishers in that space is better. Uh, Secondly, I do think that the transparency of the high level terms will force other publishers to become more transparent. And that's something that has been missing in the industry. And I would say relative to a lot of deals I have seen, I would say the high level terms are quite good. I've actually seen, especially if you're fully funding, that you know the economics generally skew a lot more in favor of the publisher, like 60, 40, 70, 30, something like that. And then I do think the other side of what you were saying, Eric, is that in terms of creative control, is that I have seen the opposite side where there are a lot of publishers and you've got folks who have never made a hit game before in their lives and they actually screw up the game. They'll screw up the, the creative vision because they, because they think they're a game designer or they think that they're an art director or something like that. So I think it goes both ways. And to me, it's almost like it comes down to, to your point about people. There's something that I don't know if you guys know who Gary Vaynerchuk says, but uh, he's got this quote where he says that a basketball in my hands is worth nothing. But a basketball in the hands of LeBron James is worth a billion dollars. And so I think that's really what it's going to come down to, to make a publishing business effective is having the right people who know when to step in, when not to step in and uh, help make those games successful. Now, having said all that, I actually do think, I do think Epic is well intentioned here, but at the same time, also feel like there are some pretty big red flags. Number one, Epic is now the most vertically integrated games company out there. And if you wanna talk about, as Tim Sweeney calls it, a customer adversary relationship, I mean, this is it. I mean, they, they got the engine, they've got the you know, publishing business, they're gonna have access to a lot of information. So I think if you are pitching to Epic, I think you've also got to be ready to compete with them and for them to take your information and data. Secondly, I would find it extremely hard to believe any serious mobile free-to-play designer that doesn't have PC and console monetization sensibilities, pitching to Epic. Especially after Tim Sweeney railed against loot boxes and evil Las Vegas monetization, I can't really see them ever publishing even like a, what kind of a lot of us free-to-play guys would consider like light and player-friendly monetization, like in a Clash Royale. I can't even see them publishing a game like that. And third, I would say, given the current rumors around performance of Epic Store, you do have to wonder, even with those friendlier terms, uh, friendlier, high-level terms, now, again, the, you know you, you gotta really see the, the specifics, to know if you have a good deal or not, but let's say you are a PC and you're stuck on Epic Store or on the mobile side, stuck to Epic Launcher on Google Play, then the deal itself may actually not be as beneficial as you think.
2: Yeah, and also, like, to your point about their relationship with the stores, particularly on mobile, but even the relationship with Microsoft and Sony after ripping them to shreds about their 30%. I mean, how much, again, this deal makes no sense unless they have console, right? I mean, they, if this is a PC only thing, then who would ever do that? Like no one would ever build a game, a triple a game, like these guys build the three people that they've signed up. Maybe, I mean, i sorry, maybe, maybe the, uh, what's a team that does, um, um, Limbo, the play dead guys might do a PC only game, but but none of the other guys would make sense to do that. So in that case, all his pomp and negativity around the 30%, like how is Microsoft and Sony going to treat the games on their platform coming from Epic? It's like F Tim Sweeney, just stop talking, you know, and and make nice nice. Because if you want to be a publisher, you have to be a relationship with not only the retailers, but also with with the the platform holders themselves, right? And so that's creates a big challenge for them, you know, to, you know, they've already made their bed right now. They want to be play nice with the publishers. I mean, with the, with the, um, the hardware guys, you know, I don't know. doesn't make sense. What do you think, Adam?
1: Yeah. Like Epic is now an engine a developer, a store and a publisher. And I think the best, like the, the big question that I have is like, what would you do with the Fortnite war chest? Like it's extremely deep. And it's obvious that they want to use it to level up Epic to just another level of game company and to push Tim's vision of the future in terms of additional platforms. Um, so I'm just wondering if they're really just spreading themselves too thin across these and how effective they're going to be across all these different uh, initiatives. Uh, and also just like, even just the first set of games here, right? Like they're all single player premium games with limited upside. Like I would have assumed they would have gotten a better price from Microsoft or Sony picking them up and trying to at least use them for, for hardware sales instead of Epic you know now funding the next control by remedy right like control was kind of well known because it was a low budget premium game like they did actually extremely well for the budget um, and play dead is an indie darling right like what is their next game are they going to be going bigger and better or are they going to be losing their drive with those bigger budgets or like what what's going to happen to these next games i'm also wondering what their focus will be for these deals like you're talking about free to play mobile games and that's not even near this first list, right? So are they going for single-player premium games? But I don't think that really builds towards Tim's vision. Are they going towards PvE services? And this is just another tool in the tool chest for kind of pulling in developers that have strong services. Like I would have liked to see more deals like what they did with Sionics. Um, Devs like Wildcard or Bohemia Interactive, basically, essentially service drink games or free-to-play games where you can build like an effective cross platform cross purchasing and actually t- tie some of these developers to your PC platforms while leveraging console and mobile. Like that's, that's what I see actually working towards their vision. Picking up control just doesn't seem like it's building towards that. Um, and also it matters how deep this well is like, how many deals are they actually going to be getting to create this type of impact? Uh, right now there's just the three, but like how much budget have they really allocated to re to, to build out these games? Um, and is it just going to be indie darlings or are they going to go deeper than this?
2: Yeah. And I want to be clear here. Like, I don't, first of all, there's not many indies left, independent AAAs like these out there anymore, first of all, to do deals with. Um, and I just want to be clear on my point about publishing in general. Publishing is kind of over, right? So publishing didn't, is, has not worked on console and PC forever. Like, no one really has a, a, an active publishing arm. You know, EAP was shuttered years and years ago. Uh, take Two is trying to reinvigorate reinv- their publishing, but they went out and gone. Activision has no publishing anymore. They publish its hero, but like they, have, it's just it's just such a smaller part of the overall industry because everyone's brought things in house to own, develop, and take take the risk and the upside from from success, right? And then you actually fast forward to mobile and none of the publishing orgs really work for mobile, except maybe Scopely. And then we've talked about Scopely ad nauseum, but like fundamentally, you know, EA had their publishing arm for mobile, which was a train wreck. Kabam had ours. That was a train wreck. Uh, I don't know who else, Jam City. I don't know what they've done with their publishing arm. Like it doesn't work right because there's too many cooks in the kitchen and not enough control and not enough upside. Right. And it's like, this is like going backwards to some degree, right? Cause this has already been kind of adjudicated out there in the marketplace is that publishing really doesn't work. So.
0: Well, I, I would argue with you, Eric, in the sense that yes, there's been a lot, there's a ton of dead bodies out there, but there's also a lot of people trying to do the same thing. And with like, again, it's, it's the, uh, it's who's, who's got the basketball, you know, <laughs> we, we don't have a publisher with a LeBron James, you know what I'm saying? That's my point. So I, I'm saying that publishing could work, but you know, a lot of the the same kind of bad ideas keep getting propagated, and like the approach and the process has been kind of screwed up.
2: Yeah, I just I don't know. I feel like people are banging their heads against the same wall all the time with this publishing stuff. Um, but you know, maybe they can find the right recipe for success. Yeah, I don't know. It's. It, it, yeah. There's, some, there's some sense that incentives are aligned, but, but but as with these three teams in particular, where creativity is like kind of in their, their their biggest thing is like that's where things go really wrong, right? Because they start spending insane amounts of money to build their creative vision when there's not necessarily a market for that vision. And that's why having a strong publisher that's like on them about creating games that actually can make money is it really, really important. But if Epic is going to be hands-off, then that, that, that creates another recipe for a potential disaster for them. So, you know, like because, what we all know... Like, wasn't two like three-
1: remedies like previous game before this, that like TV combined with video game game? Wasn't that like a, a ridiculously expensive Microsoft Xbox game?
2: Oh, right, right. Quantum Break, was that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Quantum Break is an example of a complete disaster, right? Hey, I'll tell you what. That game was amazing. It was beautiful. I mean, but it took forever. And I mean, it must have been hundreds of millions of of Microsoft money to build that stupid game. exactly. And it was an absolute disaster. It didn't sell anything. And it was And and I think control was the response to that, right? Like,
1: they would go lower budget. They would try to build this, like, great experience that didn't require hundreds of millions. And they did a great job. But if they now get another loose leash with Epic, um, yeah
2: it, it's a really tough business. winner take- all. big franchises are driving most of the revenue in this business, and uh, these type of deals just aren't done much anymore. You know, even Securo, which was a great, I think was a decent deal for for Activision. I mean that was based on a team that's already had success, right? That, that was that is known for this particular formula, and they're just changing the format, right? So yep. that, I don't. I wouldn't even point to that as a success. I don't even know any publishing successes. Borderlands was not good, right? I I, I wouldn't even consider that's like a co- that's that's not even a real publishing deal. They just had a relationship for a long time. I don't know. I feel like I'm I, I feel like I'm just reliving history all over again with this nonsense. I, I think I think. And, and the results will speak for themselves. Let's let's you know, two or three years from now, when we actually probably never see a game from any of these guys. <laughs> so but, <laughs> come on, man. Then we'll know. <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on.
0: All right, second article. Declining cost per install should benefit mobile game companies. So our good friend Jeff Cohen from Stevens, Mr. Market Mover himself released a market note on the impact of declining CPI or cost per install for mobile user acquisition and the potential financial benefit to mobile game companies, especially the the public names. The overall story here is that they've conducted a number of private company checks and have been hearing of 20 to 30% CPI declines. So Jeff modeled out a few scenarios including kind of two options, one, public mobile game companies investing more into UA, leading to higher revenue and better margin off of the marketing spent, or two, savings on marketing, but with the same revenue impact, but at lower cost. Long story short, based on his assumptions, he's assuming for Zynga, 10% EBITDA increase, Glue, 30 to 38% EBITDA increase, and (laughs) Cyclic, 10%. (laughs) side play 10% increase. So my take on this stuff, I mean, I haven't dug into his model, but my high level sense is that it may be a little too optimistic just because what we're seeing initially may not hold. And, you know, a point one of our other buddies, Eric Seifert, has made before is that what happens once recession hits, this stuff could start to decline, especially LTV, stuff like that. But If anyone out in audience land wants to actually dig into his numbers and jump on the podcast next week to to discuss, let me know. However, to Jeff Cohen's point, I have also been hearing from some mobile game studios doing UA. And I will say that this effect is not fully across the board, but I am hearing of some pretty major success stories. But... So there are certainly some games that are benefiting very strongly from what we're seeing due to coronavirus, but I, I would not say that it's across the board for all mobile games. And I think the tricky part of this is that, is that most likely w- when we think about ARPU and LTV profiles, I mean, they're gonna start to vary wildly as behavior changes, as the point about recession. So it's just really hard to tell. And when you have an unpredictable LTV, that's moving around that much, it's really hard to buy against that kind of an environment. And this is an issue that I'm currently discussing with a few UA friends of mine. Like how do you actually structure a system to, tr- to determine how a game is impacted due to isolation policies? And then is there a structured way to think about doing UA when your RPU and LT proof- profiles are moving around? And something, if we get to a good conclusion, we'll do a UA coffee talk about. Finally, if anyone is interested to sign up for Jeff Cohen's research report, which I highly recommend, I'll leave his contact info or LinkedIn link in the show notes so you can reach out to him and get access to his research reports.
2: What do you think, guys? Well, Mr. (laughs) Jeff Cohen is working overtime. So I think what's happening is he's basically home with his in-laws and he's looking for any excuse to write some kind of thought piece to give him some kind of like visibility out there as the world is coming to an end. So He's locking himself away in his office to avoid his in-laws and writing up these pieces to make people think that he's smart. Now, having said all that, I think this piece makes a little bit of sense, right? There's gonna be some savings in UA costs for Zynga and Glue, et cetera. And it might be very short term, most likely. Um, and it could be valuable on new releases, potentially. But the fundamental problem is that, I agree with you guys, is that the LTV calc is probably a little bit lower given where we are and where we're, we will be, and I don't know if this like 20% reduction in UA is going to help when you have games that don't make any money. So like Glue just comes out with this new uh, the Disney game that we've been talking about for ad nauseum, and it's downloaded a million or so times, and it's making 20 cents per download. Game over, dude. It's a fail, right? So... You could spend 20% more UA, but you can't make any money on a game that makes 20 cents. You know, like it's crazy, right? So, you know, I think his, his math makes sense if you're like an investment banker type and you just throw some numbers in a spreadsheet and say, okay, yeah, 20% here, 10% here and whatever. Um, but ultimately, I think Glue in particular has a lot more problems on its hands than whether or not they're going to save like 15 to 20% on UA over the next few months, Um, and so, so I, I, I think he probably got some kudos for this particular report, but, um, uh, but ultimately, you know, there are a lot of other factors that are going into what's going on with these companies than a quick, you know, check on, on UA spend, Adam. Yeah, you guys pretty much covered it. I think my issue
1: was that he basically just blanket reduced market costs by 20% in Q2 and Q3 which just as a model is just very optimistic and definitely not how user acquisition works. <laughs> um, and, and like the only impact on revenue was advertising revenue. So of course, this is why games with high in-app purchases revenue are not going to be seeing quite as much revenue decline. But as Eric has said multiple times, and I really sign up for uh, Eric Sufert's point of view here, is that LTV models are seriously at risk during, the next, during this financial downturn. So we will see how LTV models are actually shaping up over the coming months. Let's move forward though. It's finally, it's time for me to rant. Uh, Forte recruits five more high-end game studios to make blockchain-based games. Um, So Forte partners with five new game studios. Uh, They are high-res studios, makers of Smite and Paladins. I would call them like mid-tier success free-to-play developers. Uh, typically taking games like uh, Overwatch or, say, Battle Royale games and kind of applying, um, uh, trying to build out their own niche from there. Netmarble, Marvel Future Fight, Magmic, which is a maker of card games like Simple Spades, Enway, uh, maker of Power Rangers Battle for the Grid, and Decca Games, which is the maker of Realm of the Mad God. Um, I think we, we interviewed Ken Go on the podcast, who's from Decked Games. And I think the common thread here through these games um, is that Kevin Chu, who's the ex-CEO of Kabam, these are mostly companies and old colleagues of his. So Kevin Chu, who's um, head of Forte here, started the company as a way to fix the problems in the industry, which is overly dependent on a small number of players to produce revenues in free-to-play games. And the thesis is that by making digital assets read, uh, game characters, cosmetics, and gear, available on a decentralized blockchain, essentially a trading network that the devs can't really influence. It will open up brand new ways for games to retain and monetize. And the proof is that aftermarket trading for player accounts for games like World of Warcraft, the CS:GO marketplace, and a game called CryptoKitties, which is essentially Beanie Babies on crack on a blockchain. So. The key point here that I read between the lines is that the 100 million that they're using to kind of sign up these companies is a grant. So it's not really like an investment. Um, It's basically a grant to add technology to existing games and new games. And Forte does not ask for equity, revenue share, or any kind of recuperation from the developers. And my take on this is that it was needed because that's the only way you're gonna kick devs to actually (laughs) implement blockchain into your games. Because from God, my perspective, dude, it makes That's a cynical
2: viewpoint no there, right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, just taking a look at these games, right? Like, high res, great games, but their systems aren't deep enough to make uh, uh, a real player-to-player market work, especially for something like cosmetics. And it actually, it, it could actually risk their bottom line on their cosmetics, and I think it ends up being integrated in a very restrictive way, just to tick the box to get the grant money. Um Games, Mad God, MMO, might have a deep enough economy, but the game is still like a very, very small community, and it matters what assets they actually put up for purchasing that aren't gonna poison that community. Uh, Joe?
0: So wait a minute, if there is no rev share, how do they make money? So they're just giving away money to developers to integrate blockchain, and then what? So then, so then they have
1: it. their token used more, so then the value of the token goes up. I don't know. This is crypto crap. <laughs> okay.
0: So yeah, I, I guess for me, as far as I know, maybe you guys understand the, the value proposition better, but it doesn't sound like any of us here on this podcast understand the value prop. Of blockchain and I don't know of any serious integrations amongst any of the guys that I know and you know I think amongst us here we know a lot of people in the industry so I'm gonna have to say without really understanding blockchain in a deep way I'm one of the guys referred to in the article as not educated on the tech or how it works (laughs) so I like you I'm kind of I'm very skeptical now and I don't want to talk down something I don't understand but I will say it has been explained to me a couple (laughs) A couple of times already and i still i still don't understand so maybe i can ask you guys just to confirm here but do you guys understand the the model because i i don't get it is blockchain necessary is it valuable or is it just 4k skin
2: look can i can i just <laughs> what did you say what skin. What? <laughs> all right I actually know a lot of people that work at this company because they're all ex kabam people, you know. I know Kevin, I know Mike, this guy I'm going to lunch with tomorrow about this and I listened to Kevin's speech on this stuff and I I think I get it. I I think I think I get it. But what I don't understand is why blockchain is 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 needed, you know. And so my my fu- fundamental understanding is that it, I guess the best comparable analysis is something like uh trading cards. So they just signed a deal with Tops, And that kind of, this makes sense because there's scarcity on cards, right? They only make a certain amount of type of card. You can build scarcity around trading cards in some ways. So if you have unique identifiers that are built with the blockchain tech, that means that that particular card is worth a certain amount of money, right? And so you can track it with blockchain, right? But as far as I can tell, there are no games like that out there that have been designed with that kind of scarcity and, and individual. Like, okay.
1: what is blockchain specifically doing a value that you couldn't just build yourself right in a more controllable fashion? Like I understand the tops thing, but in any of those situations I could have built a better cloud-based solution, had more control in a centralized manner. So I really don't understand how yeah, blockchain I, all of a sudden makes this stuff open up and make it so easy. <laughs>
2: Well, i 'm totally with you so and then and then retrofitting these old games doesn 't make sense so 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 my fundamental problem with blockchain amongst uh, and, and many other technologies that come out like even even when we talk about stadia and all this other crap that we 've been you know talking about is that it 's a chicken and an egg problem right you're basically you 're solving something that doesn 't need to be solved right with with technology, and so you have to build something in order to justify the use of this technology same as same as you know. A cloud-based technology, if you don't have the killer app that actually takes advantage of this and gets people compelled to use it, there's just no reason to implement it, right? And so you have to build it and then they will come. I just don't think you can just retrofit it into other things because I think there's they people have been optimizing against non-scarcity. So items in Fortnite are not scarce per se, right? You're not going to have a unique identifier for every single, you know, a uh, chicken suit in 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 Fortnite and then try to sell it at a premium you know because it's it's a, a unique thing it just doesn't make any sense but until it's actually implemented we won't know right maybe maybe there will be a design game that that takes advantage of this thing and then back to your point though do you even really need blockchain to do that i don't know i don't think so <laughs> No,
1: I think that blockchain just makes it completely unwieldy. Like, I fundamentally do not get the hype for blockchain at all. Like, I, and I understand what blockchain is. I understand the value of decentralized ledgers. I own crypto myself, but I fundamentally disagree. That it's going to revolutionize gaming, or it's worthy of the amount of investment i going into that
2: space. So I, I'm trying to hold back a little bit here because I have a identical twin brother. If you did not know, and all he's been talking about is blockchain and crypto <laughs> the last five <laughs> fucking years. And is, I am so. What is this 2017? Like, <laughs> I, I am so sick of it. Like, I, I, and, and I just, I, I just can't. I can I just can't hold back sometimes. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna keep it real. And just realized that I've been talking about this for years and years and years with my brother and what a r- ridiculous thing it is. And it hasn't worked out for him, <laughs> just to be <laughs> clear. I, mean, I could just see Eric all.
1: with like a few more lines under his eyes, like a larger beard, just <laughs> holding on the crypto. Oh my it's God. It's like anti, anti-cress,
2: anti yeah. Oh, my so, um, But The, the one anyway. thing that
1: I will concede around all this stuff, around um right like around blockchain is that in-game marketplaces actually could be viable right so i've done a lot of analysis on csgo and warframe and like those marketplaces are strong implementations and get players you know adding value to their to their ecosystems. but i'm just again is blockchain the right technology to build that or why wouldn't they just use valve system on top of that? Right. Like right, I think right. if you look at CSGO and you look at Warframe and the types of assets that they have in place, like Warframe doesn't have scarcity, the same thing as tops, they sell just consumable crafting materials in their, in their marketplace. Right. Um, and it works out quite well for them, but I feel like valve system is actually much better for them than anything around a uh, uh, crypto. Anytime you'd want to change something when live, how would you, how would you manage that, right? Now you've got a decentralized ledger that you've got to go through every single one of those assets and be like, sorry guys, I've got to take that thing out of your wallet because I got to update it, right? Like, like how do you how do you manage this stuff when live when uh, you've got to deal with
2: a decentralized le- ledger? Uh, all right, now you're getting super dorky, dude. Oh, um, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I you know, it's interesting. I think one of the per- people that I talked to basically said that it could work really well for something like Ultimate Team, right? Where there is some scarcity around Players, etc., or certain levels of players, or whatever. But like, but EA already has a player-to-player trading market in FIFA,
1: right? Like in, no, in, I know, like, and then that's and, uh, and it works really, really well, and allows them to control it, and allows them to get a nice rake out of every transaction. What exactly. is blockchain doing that's all of a sudden making that better? <laughs> yeah.
2: So
0: right. Let, let's make an open invitation. Anyone out there who wants to argue blockchain? Yeah, open invitation to come on and jump on with us to talk blockchain. Jump in the ring, just just in case
2: (laughs) we we could be
0: missing something. It is possible.
2: I'll be talking to my forte friend tomorrow at lunch. We're having a virtual lunch, so I'll ask him to listen to the podcast and perhaps he can (laughs) tell me why I'm an absolute moron, which he does all the time. So uh, 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 nothing. All right. Anything else? I think that's it.
1: That's it.
2: You guys don't like my coronavirus beard, huh? So it's not working for y'all. You look so terrible. (laughs) Uh, That's that's just hurtful. But give me a few more weeks. Let me grow it in. Yep. And we'll see. All right. All right, guys. Have a good week. All right. Bye. Bye.